0: Today's a uh, brunch, and that is an excerpt from last week's Line Rockers. Now, as you know, Line Rockers is a sort of new series every Saturday morning at 8:30, and I get the chance, a wonderful opportunity, to have some one-on-one time with some of the familiar voices, or even not so familiar voices of Hong Kong, um, of Radio Three. And uh, it's great to be able to, to, to for them to be able to share some of their stories with our listeners, uh, some very inspiring ones, uh, including uh, the one you're about to hear today. Uh, This morning, we've got an excerpt from Robert Dorfman, who is a Hong Konger who's lived here all his life. Now, in this excerpt, Robert shares his memories uh, growing up in Hong Kong and also how his family ended up in mainland China.
1: My great-grandparents actually were Russian-Jewish. And um, at the time of the pogroms in the late 1800s, uh, decided to leave Russia. And they traveled the Trans-Siberian Railroad, which ended in Harbin, at that time Manchuria. So three of my grandparents and my mother were all born in Harbin. Uh, My father was born in Beijing as it happens and then both families found their way eventually to Tianjin, which is a major port city near Beijing. And they were there right through World War II under Japanese occupation. They stayed on. 1949, of course, there was a big change in government in China. And in early 1950, they left China and went to Japan, which was under U.S. occupation after the war. The Americans were, of course, pouring a lot of money into Japan post-World War II to build it up again. And uh, so there were business opportunities there. I was actually born in Tokyo, but a year later, in 1956, we moved to Hong Kong. And we've been here ever since. So this is really very much home for us. My parents, my father, who's 93, my mother, who's 91, both live here. I live here with my wife uh, and my wife, Sherry, and my daughter, Carly, is a teacher here in Hong Kong as well. Our son, Justin, is uh, living with his wife and kids, two boys in uh, san francisco actually in the in the bay area in marin county in mill valley um, but come and visit us every few months and we go there to visit them as well
0: wow it sounds like family life is really a big part of your life it is
1: very much a part of our lives uh, we are truly blessed that um, my parents are alive uh, and my grandchildren are alive and uh, so we span four generations and i remember my parents saying to me uh, many many years ago that they hope they live long enough to see their grandchildren now actually they've lived long enough to both see and to enjoy their great grandchildren so it's wonderful
0: that's really really remarkable well let's talk about your childhood then Rob um, did you have a happy childhood what was your childhood I, like? I
1: think I think my, my childhood was about as good as it could get meaning that I don't feel I was ever wanting for anything uh, I don't feel there was anything lacking. When we first came to Hong Kong, um, we, we, we lived in a flat uh, at Embassy Court, which was a building in Causeway Bay on Hoi Ping Road. At that time, that was very much a residential area. Eric Cummins, the very well-known architect, lived in the same building. Members of the Choi family also lived in the building. Um, and we were literally across the street from what, what eventually became Lee Gardens. So I grew up there, and most days, uh, if I wasn't at school, uh, or let's say preschool, um, my ama at the time uh, took me to Victoria Park uh, to play. And so I actually grew up uh, going through, walking through uh, wet markets, uh, eating the food that was made, you know, literally on on the spot. Um, And I, I just remember life being good and uh, feeling uh, that I had everything that I could possibly want, the love of my family, friends, etc. So I would say it was a very good upbringing.
0: Yeah, you have a younger brother too.
1: I have a younger brother who's a year year younger than me. We're very close uh, because we are so close in age. Um, And I would say that we're probably each other's best friends. Uh, He lives in Hong Kong also. We work together in different parts of our business, but we work together. And uh, so I would say he's my oldest friendship.
0: Wow. So you must have lived through Hong Kong during 1967 yes
1: um, so so very- that that was a that was a wake up call because uh prior to that, Hong Kong had always seemed to me to be very stable, very quiet I didn't think of it at that, I just sort of took it for granted, you know, but in nineteen sixty seven we had that first- well first in my time, social unrest, and I remember uh actually waiting with my father uh on uh, on a Saturday afternoon on Pedder Street, uh, waiting for our car to pick us up and coming down Wyndham Street was what I can only describe as thousands of men in white shirts, grey pants, waving little red Mao books. And you know, the, the the memory stays with me today, some 60 years later because, or 50, 60 years later, because it was just so impactful. Um, and, of course, there were slogans uh, written all over walls in Hong Kong. Uh, there was a lot of broadcasting from buildings going on with, uh, I would say, Mao-era themes, etc. So, it was clearly, you know, I didn't understand the full implications of it or the full, un- I didn't have a full understanding of what was going on. It was... 12 or going on 13 at the time. But it was clear that that there was unhappiness, that something big was happening. And, you know, we were all very relieved when, you know, towards the end of the year, things quieted down and went back to normal.
0: Yeah. Were your family sort of worried for your safety?
1: No, I don't think so. I don't think we ever thought at that point of leaving Hong Kong. I think we thought that it was a passing phase. It, It was a result of the fallout of what was going on in China during the Cultural Revolution, so I don't think we ever felt personally, physically threatened or contemplated uh, leaving because of that. But it, but it was unsettling. There's no question about it.
0: Yeah. Um, what did you study at university?
1: So at university, I started off with business administration, and then found you know I literally couldn't keep my eyes open in class. It, I, it was it was just so dry, and so I switched to political science, that is government and international relations, which is something I've always been very interested in just as an observer. And that I really enjoyed. And the focus really was on East Asian studies, that is, countries within Asia, China, Japan, uh, Indonesia, the Philippines, Thailand, etc. And that I found very, very interesting. I knew I would never go into, uh, into the Foreign Service or anything like that. But it was just an interesting subject to study. And so basically, I majored... Um, in uh, government and international relations, but took business courses alongside that. And so in 1976, when I graduated from the University of Washington in Seattle, I came back to Hong Kong and joined uh, what was then our family business. Um, and we, we have, uh, just as a background, our company, Herald Holdings Limited, Today is a listed company, a small listed company, and controlled by two families, our family and the Cheung family, who have been our partners for 60 years. Um, But uh, we are manufacturers of toys, of timepieces, it's watches and clocks, and of various connected uh, smart devices. So three industries under one holding company, and uh, we export all over the world.
0: Wow. Did you ever think about not coming back to Hong Kong and staying Uh, in the States? I I
1: think I always intended to come back to Hong Kong. Uh, I was fortunate to live in the U.S. during those college years, university years, when things were quite different from what they are now. America in those days, I found, was very welcoming. Um, It really felt like a country that was going places in the world, Um, people seem to be respectful of each other. Not to say they didn't have any social issues. they always had social issues. But somehow it was, you know, respectful discussion, debate, etc. But unfortunately, I think it's a very, very different country today. And I, I feel blessed to have been there in those years rather than being somebody now going off to university. I still think it's a wonderful country to study in. Um, but it's certainly more difficult and more divided than it was in my time.
0: Yeah. Um, Did you get a culture shock when you went to the States or had you always been to the States? Because you're a Hong Kong boy. Yeah.
1: So the culture shock are little things, making your own bed, you know, uh, (laughs) which you're completely untrained or unprepared for, but, you know, you get it sooner or later. Um, Those kind of things, uh, I I think. And and the other other thing I, I, I found was that people were rather provincial in their outlook on things. People did not look at the they, they looked at this sort of immediate surroundings, they didn't think um, globally. I think one of the great advantages of having grown up in Hong Kong is we tend to think more globally because we're not a country we're an entity, we're a special administrative region now but you know we think of the world um, in, in very global terms um, and while Obviously, we're concerned about Hong Kong issues. We're also we're also um, interested in global issues and how they affect us and how we affect them. Uh, when you're when you're in a place like the U.S., unless I guess you're in New York, um, maybe L.A., Chicago, San Francisco. Uh, if you're if you're not there, then it seems people uh, are more much more concerned about their own internal issues and and not much beyond that.
0: Yeah, I always felt like that as well, growing up in Hong Kong and even something as small as our newspapers. Yes. There's always a few pages of of local news and then China news, and then the rest is international news. Plenty of
1: international news. And I still think, you know, the South Shire Morning Post uh, is one of the great newspapers. And and I think, uh, you know, from what I've heard, their largest readership is outside of Hong Kong. People internationally who are interested to know what's going on in Hong Kong and what Hong Kong thinks of things.
0: Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. And, and I suppose Hong Kong is a gateway, say, to the mainland yes, as well. Yes, correct. And um, people are, are curious to see what's that. Yes. a peek into that. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what the Line Rock spirit means to you, Rob. You've grown up in Hong Kong all your life. Um the Lion Rock spirit is sort of a very unique spirit to Hong Kongers. What does it mean to you?
1: So I think it means a number of things. I think it means perseverance, that is that uh, no challenge is too big, uh, and that in a place like Hong Kong, nothing is really insurmountable, that there's a tremendous can-do spirit about Hong Kong. There's a great sense of optimism, And positivity, which I think you don't find in too many places in the world, particularly now. I think, you know, we we have the ability to go through extraordinarily tough times. And I think the three years of COVID uh, and prior to that, the one year of social unrest is living proof of that, you know, as of March 1st, the masks came off or, or, you know, no longer required by law uh, and, and people have gone on with their lives. They've re-energized. Uh, you know, Leng Kui Fong is bustling. Restaurants are filling up. People are traveling again. It didn't take us long. To just pick up and go again, and I think that's really very much the Lion Rock spirit—the fact that you know we can be down for a while, but you cannot hold us down permanently. We come back from that. When we come back, we come back big time.
0: Um, and finally, Rob, if you had to choose a song that's of uh, significance or that has a special meaning to you that you can share with our listeners, uh, what would it be?
1: Um, I think it would probably be Your Song by Elton John. I've been an Elton John fan. I first heard his music in 1971, and I've been a great fan of his music. As I say, I play the keyboards, and Elton is a keyboard player, so I've uh, followed his career. I've enjoyed his music. He and Bernie Taupin are... Uh, really, a terrific songwriting team. And if you listen to, if you've ever listened to Elton John tell the story of your song, he said that until your song, he had written some good songs, but he'd never written a great song. And when he finished your song, which took him 20 to 25 minutes to do, he realized it was a great song. And it has been. And I think at every Elton John concert, I've been to quite a few of them in my lifetime in different cities around the world, in every concert, he plays that song, and that song is better received than any other song, which means that it didn't just move me. It it moved a world of people.
0: Yes, it yeah. is a terrific song. You're right. So let's have a listen to Elton John's Your Song. Meanwhile, Rob, thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners. I really, really enjoyed talking to you.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: It's a...